Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Ryan Harter discussing Ktor. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi, Hadi. Thanks for having me. Are you at all related to the uh, otherwise known as Ryan Hunter? <laughs> I'm not. We've never met in person. Okay. Um, it's just that he was on the show 10 seconds ago. And uh, yeah, we just did a retake because I was saying Hunter instead of Harter. Shame on me. Hey, I've been called worse things. Okay. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that Harter or Hunter is bad. I mean, like people call me Heidi, Hardy, <laughs> anything that you can think of. Yeah, um, it happens. Yeah. I don't know, but like, isn't there like a famous actor called Ryan Hunter or something like that? Honestly, not that I know of. Oh, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Ryan just kind of. Anyway, never mind. All right, we're we're talking uh, we're talking uh, Kotlin here. We're not talking names. Uh, so you were at KotlinConf. You were talking on Ktor, which That's apparently right. went down really well because you got awesome feedback on that. So well done, congrats yeah. on that. Thank you. And we've had quite a bit of. Uh, usage of Ktor, so to speak. I mean, you know, it's a to to give some background to people. Um, Ktor was kind of like born out of uh, uh, Wasabi, kind of something that I was working on. And, and last I looked on the Slack channel, if we're going to measure interest in in Ktor by Slack channel as opposed to stars and GitHub, uh, <laughs> it it we're over a thousand people, I think, on on the Slack channel. So. Um, so yeah, and, and we've had quite a bit of demand for people inquiring about Ktor. So I'm like, why don't we bring Ryan on and discuss everything Ktor because you've been using it extensively, right? Yes, yeah. Cool. So tell us, what exactly is Ktor? So Ktor is a framework for building servers and clients. Uh, so this would be for your web backend or you can even use it in apps. I'm an Android developer by trade, so... Uh, apps is sort of how I think, um, but uh, a lot of what I do is is writing backends for those apps. And uh, Ktor is a a real lightweight framework, all based in Kotlin. Um, works really well with uh, or based on, I should say, um, coroutines. Um, and so so Ktor just makes it really lightweight and easy to to make backends. And it's built from the ground up with Kotlin. That's right. Okay, so a lot of people are used to working with web framework. I mean, let's let's kind of like divide this up into multiple areas because mm -hmm. you mentioned client side and you mentioned uh, server side. So let's let's take this one by one. So if mm -hmm. we're looking at the server side, uh, you know, one of the f fortes of Kotlin has always been use existing frameworks use whatever there is there. You want to use Spring, you want to use Vertex, you want to use whatever, it's all there. And even with things like Spring, there's a whole bunch of uh, adapters that the Spring team themselves are now maintaining that is making things a little bit more idiomatic to Kotlin. So mm -hmm. apart from the fact that Kotlin is built from the ground up in uh, Kotlin, sorry, no, Kator is built from the ground up in Kotlin, what? Why would I use Ktor as opposed to something like uh, Spring? Well, from my perspective, Ktor uh, just makes things really easy and simple. Um, so it's it's highly performant because it's all it's all coroutine based. So it does a lot of really good um, sort of load balancing of all of your server side work, um, and uh, everything sort of sort of uh, plugs together. You have features that you can plug into your servers. 
if you want to add um, if you want to add header logging or you want to add uh, authentication or those type of different features, it's very plug and playable. And um, while I don't want to disparage the Spring community, um, and I haven't worked with Spring extensively in recent years, um, you know, Spring is a lot about configuration and that side of stuff, and and uh, Ktor just does that in code, uh, which from my perspective makes it makes it really fast and easy and and um, easy to sort of reason about. I mean, in all fairness to Spring, I think that a lot of that is now done kind of programmatically. I mean, if we're talking about okay. something like Spring Boot, uh, as opposed to sure. as opposed to Spring, uh, re previously I kind of uh, briefly mentioned this, but also to to bring some context. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, Ktor is based on it's it's a copy or anything like uh, what I had done initially for uh, Wasabi, but just to give some context to people, I, you know, I, I used to work on Node.js uh, for quite a while. And on Node.js, there used to be a framework called Express.js. I don't know if you're familiar with it by chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So an Express.js was kind of like similar to, uh, I think it was, what was it from? Sinatra. Uh, Sinatra, from exactly, from the Ruby community. And then you had like Nancy in... Uh, .NET, they had made it like a C-sharp port with Nancy. And uh, when I was starting out with uh, Kotlin, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to try and throw something like Express.js together in Kotlin, which gave way to Wasabi. Uh, mm -hmm. Why was it called Wasabi? Because I love Wasabi peas. So <laughs> but there's a lot of other things I love, but I don't name frameworks after them. But anyway, uh, and then we were talking with uh, Ilya. So this was like very lightweight, right? This was kind of like mm -hmm. a very easy way to to define your routes trying to explore the dsl aspects of it um and then from there kind of uh ktor was born and i kind of like abandoned wasabi and and you know the efforts went into into ktor uh, so i think it's it's mm -hmm. also a little bit trying to explore as much as possible like the idiomatic ways that you can write things with Kotlin, right? In, in terms yeah. of like, the, to give people some context, I think it maybe it makes sense to kind of explain how, like how the routing, for instance, is defined when you're doing, uh, w when you're dealing with KTOR. Sure, yeah. So, um, and I really like what you said about, you know, mentioning other frameworks. I, I tend to think of KTOR as sort of analogous to Sinatra in the Ruby world. Yeah, you know, um, as opposed to like Rails or some larger, heavier framework. Um, but yeah, uh, routing in Ktor is actually really similar to Sinatra if you've used that before. Um, and basically, the way that it works is you have uh, on your server, your application, you have um, a, a DSL uh, that you define, um, where you get to sort of define all of your routes, and you can say, you know. You just give it a path and tell it if it's going to be a post or a get, um, and then inside that block, you uh, you you put your code if it's going to call out to external services or anything like that, um, and then you can just respond. The simplest the simplest thing you can do is just make a make a get route, and you know this is just a a, a block in in Kotlin. Um, you give it a path as a parameter, and then uh, and then you just respond with some text or some HTML. Um, right inside there. Uh, and this and it, is a function, right? Like the get is essentially yep. a function. 
Exactly. Right. A higher order function that takes a lambda. Mm -hmm. So so essentially you would have get and then some parameter which would define the, the URL and then you respond with a lambda to that exactly. URL, right? Yep. Um, and that actually raises an interesting question which uh, a lot of people ask. And I mean, and if you're familiar with uh, Express.js, this, this was kind of like a quote unquote issue is, mm -hmm. you know, if you take something like Spring, uh, or Spring Boot, you have the concept of like controllers and then controllers are somehow aligned with uh, segments of the URL. Some people align it with like the, the concept of a resource. So you could have, for example, a customer controller, which would correspond to the uh, segment customer on the URL. And then you would have the different verbs on this customer, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, but you would use this class customer controller to group this functionality. Uh, do you often face this issue in Ktor if everything is like a function, how do you actually group functionality? How do you like allocate everything that is uh, to do with, uh, I don't know, customers? Do you put those in, in or are all those functions defined in a single file called customers or do you still use the concept of classes and, and put those things in, in a class? Uh, is it even possible to do something like that? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. So, um, the way that, the way that I do it in, in, uh, in the projects that I've been working on is I've been really trying to leverage, um, higher order functions and some, some features of Kotlin, like extension functions, um, and that sort of stuff. And so, so what I've been doing actually is I'll have separate files for different, you know, what might be different controllers. So, uh, users or, or items, foos, whatever those are. Um, I'll have different files and they'll, they'll generally have a, a, uh, a public, um, higher order function in them, um, which is actually an extension function of, uh, route or routing. Um, and then what I can do is in my main application, I'll simply apply all of those. I'll have my routing block, which takes a Lambda, um, and, uh, this inside that Lambda is, uh, is the router. Um, and then I would just call these, uh, these extension functions on that router. So, you know, I might say, you know, add, add users, add, uh, items, whatever that is. And that would add all those individual routes. And then what's nice about, um, the, the DSL structure of KTOR is that, um, routes can be easily nested and that sort of thing. So, so what I generally do inside there is um, I'll say, you know, I'll give sort of that base path that you might have. So, you know, it might be slash users, whatever that is. Um, and then I'll add in my routes underneath that for get, post, put, anything else I need there. Say what that allows me to do is, is, uh, is easily sort of break up these components into more um, conceptualized uh, components into what they might be. Um, but it's it's a very flexible structure. None of that is actually required. Um, that's something that I just do for for convenience. Right. So essentially, what you're saying is that you're using uh, an extension function. Inside that extension function, you're actually defining uh, the different routes for a specific resource, and then your routing table, which is set up in the main part of the application, is calling that extension function. Uh, to apply those routes, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then you mentioned that the uh, the routes can be uh, nested. So mm -hmm. 
you you know you say you have slash users and then you have get post put delete etc. But can you have inside a slash users? Can you have a a, a subroot which is like users and uh, slash special and then have your get post put for those special ones, for instance? Absolutely, yeah. In in my uh, actually in my Kotlin Conf talk, I was doing a a subscription management system. So you would have you know you would have users who have subscriptions. And um, so I actually, in my routes, uh, I go as far as to, to have routes that look like, you know, user slash user ID slash subscriptions. And, uh, you know, parameters can be included in paths, just like in, you know, any other modern framework. Um, and, uh, and those nested routes, you know, they're, they're higher level routes at the user's level. There are routes at the, uh, at the user slash ID level um, to act on, on a specific user. And then uh, user slash ID slash subscriptions actually gets you uh, other routes to to add or remove or list subscriptions um, for a specific user. One other thing you mentioned is this concept of features. So what exactly mm -hmm. is a feature in, in KTOR? So uh, KTOR, at a, at a high level in KTOR, you have an application. And the application is what's, what's, serving, um, what's serving requests and responses. Um, and an application is built on a pipeline. So a request comes in, it goes through a pipeline um, that might modify the request, uh, you know, add headers, authenticate, whatever. Um, and then it ends up at your routes and then it exits as a response through another pipeline. And all of the items along this pipeline that are going to modify your requests or your responses or any of that, those are all features. And so uh, different features that you might have is uh, a feature to add compression support. So that, so all you have to do if you want um, something like gzip compression on your responses, if you have a JSON API or something like that, um, is you just call install compression. And it automatically inserts uh, the compression feature into the pipeline so that you don't ever have to worry about it. You just return text and on the way out, it's going to um, compress that using gzip compression or some other compression mechanism and uh, before it's returned to the client. And the same thing on the way in, it'll decompress um, compressed content. Um, there's all sorts of other features and that that's what really adds to the flexibility of KTOR by making it really pluggable. Um, so for a lot of the main features that I use is in, in development, there's a call logging feature, which will just log um, to the server logs, uh, all of the requests and responses. So things are really easy to debug. There's default headers, which adds um, a whole lot of, you know, timestamp type uh, headers uh, to, your, um, to your requests and responses. Compression, which I mentioned, status pages is a really big one for web servers. So that says, if you know inside my route, if I throw a um, an unauthorized exception, then the status pages features know how to knows how to handle that and actually respond with an unauthorized page. Same for not found, bad request, anything like that. Um, and then you can also add some really really useful stuff that, uh, for instance, um, JSON or Moshi. Uh, JSON deserialization or XML serialization, whatever you want to use, you can add that as a feature so that by the time your code actually gets an object, it's already been deserialized. 
and you don't have to worry about serializing on the way out and reading headers to figure out what types of serialization the client understands the feature, you just plug it in and it takes care of all that for you. That gives way to two questions. One of them is, I'm assuming that anybody could uh, write a feature, right? I mean, this is extensible, yep. right? Yep, absolutely. And for kind of, again, trying to compare it with other frameworks that people would be familiar with, and especially in our case where both of us have worked with Express.js, Feature here is equivalent to what's known in the JavaScript world as middleware, right? Exactly. Okay. Because, I mean, this is a term that is used uh, quite frequently, uh, both on the .NET stack and on the JavaScript stack. Uh, I, I named them, back in Wasabi, I named them interceptors, and, and now they're, they're um, essentially called features. Uh, so the other question was, you mentioned, like, for example, I have JSON serialization. Right, that mm -hmm. there's a feature that gives me JSON serialization, yeah? Yeah. So when a request comes in, will it automatically deserialize? Uh, de like if I'm su submitting a post request with the body, uh, will it deserialize that JSON into a data object for me? Yes, yes, exactly. And that uses that uses um, generic types to uh, to determine you know how how it can be deserialized. Right. Um, and then it yes. can serialize on the way out as well, right? Yep. Okay. So the next question is, what serialization uh, library does it use? or And is that pluggable as well? That's that's completely pluggable. The, the feature itself is called content negotiation. And um, it's it, it seems a bit cryptic at first, but really what it's doing is it's negotiating with the client to determine the features that the server supports, the the uh, the serialization mechanisms that the server supports and what the client can accept. And so that's, that's where content negotiation comes in. And then you can actually plug in multiple, um, different, uh, serializers, um, or content negotiation converters here, um, for different types of responses. So you can have JSON, um, for, to serialize and deserialize your JSON requests. You can, you can plug something in that'll take care of XML for you. Um, and, uh, and this is all customizable. Like, like you said, um, I actually wrote, uh, coming out of the Android world, I work a lot with, uh, with Moshi, which is, which is, comes out of square and it's a, um, sort of the evolution of JSON for, uh, JSON serialization. And, um, and so I actually wrote my own Moshi converter, which is a content negotiation converter, um, that can just plug in and uses Moshi. Uh, to serialize and deserialize. If you were to use the JSON converter, then that would use JSON behind the scenes. And there's also some for uh, for different JSON serialization mechanisms. You can make them for XML. Um, they'll really use whatever libraries behind the scenes you choose. Out of the box, if I want to, you know, use Ktor, what is there available, and what would I have to write myself? Because I mean, if you look at some of the other frameworks, such as again Spring Boot not to focus on Spring Boot, right? But it's mm -hmm. the one that I know most. Uh, I'm sure that there's other frameworks. There's, uh, I think there's one called Rat Pack and a bunch of other ones that have been mm -hmm. around for a while and you would expect that they have a whole bunch of functionality. Where is Ktor in comparison to these? So uh, I guess I can't give it a one-to-one -one comparison as far as actual numbers, but um, to give you an idea in, in usage, um, you know, I mentioned that I made the Mashi converter for the content negotiation feature, and that was 
that was in large part to sort of learn how to make custom features and that sort of thing. And also because I was really familiar with that. Um, but, but out of the box, KTOR comes with enough features that, you know, in my opinion, most apps, most web apps would be able to just use out of the box features to give you an idea for authentication is a, is a feature. And there are out of the box, there are five different types of um, authentication, including, you know, basic and form authentication, LDAP, OAuth, all that kind of stuff for content negotiation. If you work with JSON, there's um, there's a couple. There's there's JSON and Jackson for um, templating. If you want to if you want to do uh, HTML templates, there's four different built-in template engines that are supported. So there's really a whole ton of features, and um, and you can find all of those on the on ktor.io. Um, really great documentation up there um, where they sort of list all of the features. Right, and so you, you would would it be fair to say that generally, if someone wants to write their server side application, they've got enough functionality now in Ktor that they wouldn't really need to write anything custom. If you, I, I mean, it's hard to judge, but you know what I'm saying, yeah. right? Yeah, I would, I would, I would say in my estimation, absolutely. Um, unless you're unless you're interacting with some sort of uh, you know custom auth service or or something like that or you know like I did with Moshi unless you've got some library you really like that you know is is a little lesser well known and and want to use it um, there's really nothing that you need to do. How do you deploy a server side application? Is it a jar? Is it a is it a war? How how is it deployed? Or what are the options that it offers you? That's a great question. So KTOR actually comes with uh, a whole bunch of different um, built-in engines that allow you to run, um, to actually deploy and run KTOR applications in many different environments. So you can you can actually build KTOR just as a as a fat jar, so that uh, all you have to do is is run it using Java on your server. Um, you can run it as a as a servlet in a servlet container. It'll build a war for you. Um, and you can you can also run it directly from Docker. Um, it's got a whole bunch of a bunch of these different containers that you can uh, or engines that you can sort of uh, run it with. Um, and then what's really nice about that is actually for development, you can use a, a local development engine, something like like Jetty or Netty. Um, so that way you get things like like hot deploy and and that sort of stuff to make the development lifecycle a lot faster and easier. Right, and the application actually can be. I mean, it does use Netty, right? If you want to use yeah. Netty as the as the engine underneath, right? Absolutely, yeah. That's cool. And how hard do you think it is for people to get up and running with Ktor? Um, in in my experience, I found it I found it super quick. You know, in in five minutes, you can get up and running again at Ktor IO. They've got some great documentation, um, and there's actually uh, because Ktor comes from JetBrains, the people behind, you know, some some wonderful IDEs, uh, they've actually got a plugin for their um, their idea based IDEs that that you can start a project as a KTOR project, and you can sort of pick all of the features you want and tell it what type of engine it's going to run on, and it'll set up a project for you um, to make it to make it super quick, and then you can you can just go modify that project if you want to get started quickly and try it out. Nice. And of course, this can be deployed to anything, right? And I mean, you can deploy to Google Cloud, to Amazon, to Heroku, yeah. anywhere, right? Yeah, it really runs anywhere that that'll you know run a web server. 
Um, I, I actually started out running in Google App Engine um, for the projects that I've been using. And I recently switched over to uh, Google um, Container Engine. So I, I run my, uh, my KTOR apps in Docker, and they're managed by Kubernetes in, uh, in Google Cloud. Um, so it takes care of auto scaling and all that sort of stuff for you. So it's really flexible. And I was able to do that with, with minimal changes to my actual uh, web application code. Yeah. And I tell you, every time there's like, every time I stop looking at a control panel for cloud, some new thing appears and yeah. you learn that new thing. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, we, we've ended up in a world where it's, it's kind of ironic that our cloud providers are trying to make deployment as simple as possible. And they've come yeah. up with so many products, features, terminology that it now takes you a longer time to understand and learn all that than in the old days. It's just like, oh, here's a jar, throw it on a metal box over there and <laughs> pipe it up to the internet. <laughs> yeah, but boy, I tell you, when I want to deploy something new, I. I always try to find whoever makes that easiest and whoever will take care of things like scaling and that sort of stuff for me so I don't ever have to think about it. Yeah. So we've been talking quite a bit about the server-side stuff, but of course, we at the beginning, you also mentioned that Ktor is not just a server-side uh, library or framework. It is also mm -hmm. client-side, right? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. what does that mean? I mean, what is it offering me in terms of clients? So uh, Ktor on the client, um, offers a few different things. Um, the, uh, what I would say is probably the biggest, the biggest piece of it is, um, is the HTTP client. And so, um, so basically what, what KTOR will do is, um, it sort of acts as an adapter for different engines. So that could be okay. HTTP on, you know, JVM and Android or, you know, the Apache HTTP engine, um, different things like that. Um, and well, I suppose as long as I'm mentioning Java, uh, HTTP engines, this also works on, on, uh, on iOS and it also works on, on JavaScript. Um, and so we've got all these different engines that KTOR sort of sits on top of and what it, what it gives you is, um, some, some really similar functionality to the, to the server side, um, in that, uh, it, allows you to to use um, to use features so there's different features you can plug in that that do different things you know like JSON serialization like we talked about that kind of stuff um, cookie management uh, redirection handling all that kind of stuff um, those work with features um, but it also gives you the um, the the really nice Kotlin coroutine um, access for your uh, for your requests and your responses. So why would I, let, let's say like I'm a big user of OKHTTP. Mm -hmm. what, what do I gain if I'm targeting the JVM using the KTOR HTTP client if this is sitting on top of OKHTTP? So uh, that's a good question. And if you're only targeting the JVM, um, I'm... I'm not sure. Not sure that you would. Um, I mean, I probably the, it adds some yeah. kind of like uh, idiomatic uh, APIs, that, like yeah. a little bit more like of a, f a facade kind of thing, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think 
you know, as far as I understand it, that's sort of largely the difference. I think the main selling point is, is uh, multi-platform. Right. Yes. Meaning that tomorrow, if I want to uh, create an application that targets native and JVM, if I use Ktor HTTP client, I could potentially do that with the caveat yeah. that of course, because this is where like we need to kind of, if I'm targeting the JVM, if I'm using as an engine OKHTTP, if I'm targeting native, I would have to use a different engine there, right? Yeah. But the API, the surrounding API, the one that you know I'm using in my code would basically remain the same, right? So it's it's essentially only kind of like the initialization, so to speak, would vary. Is exactly. That, is that correct? Okay. Yep, that's it. So so you would create the HTTP client differently, um, but outside of that, how you consume it, how you use it, um, is identical. Okay, that makes sense, uh, and it also, I guess, you know, minimizes the 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 amount of code that is different, and you just. Mm -hmm. Uh, create the different ones for the different platforms, which you could do with the actual and uh, expect construct, exactly. I guess, in Kotlin. Yep. Cool. And the Kotlin Conf app is actually a great open source example of this. It's a it's a multi platform app that uses um, that uses Ktor client um, for its web requests. Okay, and so that that's something that people can actually look at to see how. It is using, I'm guessing it's using Apache or OKCTB on the JVM, sorry, the Android app, and mm -hmm. then it's using something native to iOS for the iOS yep. version, right? Yeah, it's just the Ktor iOS engine. Cool. It's cool. And the great thing is that this is now also available for different uh, native platforms, right? So I'm guessing that if mm -hmm. I want to do some HTTP calls targeting Mac OS, I could do that as well. So do you generally recommend people to use Ktor? I mean, do you think it's ready for production? I mean, you've got it in production, I guess, right? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I've been using it. Um, I think uh, when I started using it, uh, which was probably a, a year, year and a half ago, it was it was pretty early and, and uh, you know, a lot of things were changing really fast. But, um, but you know, it, it's grown up. It's, it's past its 1.0 and... Uh, and the team's been doing a really good job. They communicate really well. Uh, they're really active in the Slack channel, and and I've found that it's uh, it's certainly stable and and ready for production. And like you said, I've been using it in production. Um, I've been using it in production honestly since shortly before it hit 1.0. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's definitely ready. But you've you've done stuff in JavaScript, right? I have. Yeah, so yeah. you know it, yeah. it's it's not a like for you to say to me I've been using it before 1.0. Oh, come on, man. In JavaScript we used to release things on zero. Oh, look, there's a new framework. Oh, look, it's been out of date. Oh, let's de deploy to production. Like sure. it's at 0.007.98a. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> that it, is fair. Yeah. It is, right? And and it's it's funny how uh in the JVM world we're kind of reluctant to oh no, 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 no. Until that thing doesn't hit 1.0, I am not touching it. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, and I think that actually makes sense with uh, with with uh, Ktor in particular, but other JetBrains libraries, um, just because they do, um, you know, JetBrains isn't afraid to you know change APIs, you know, before they hit 1.0, and and things change, and you you certainly have to update and move with it. 
Um, Is that a polite way of saying that JetBrains doesn't give a crap about breaking changes? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, pre 1.0, I appreciate that. Yeah, post uh, 1.0, we don't, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, you know, there, it's no secret that, for example, for the uh, JD uh, SDK for. Uh, uh, IntelliJ. I mean, I, I don't know how it is now with IntelliJ, so I'm, I'm not going to comment. But with uh, mm -hmm. ReSharper, I remember that there was a period of time like we used to say, like, why aren't you building any plugins on on ReSharper? And people were like, because you break it every time. I'm like, okay, <laughs> fair point. We'll stop doing yeah. that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, what's next for you then? Uh, so. You know, I've actually been um, I've been working on trying to make my um, my Ktor application I mentioned runs um, on uh, Google Container Engine using Docker, and it and it plugs into a whole lot of uh, sort of Google Cloud and Firebase features like the Firestore and that kind of stuff. And what I've been working on is actually trying to trying to make that pluggable from a configuration standpoint. So what I'd like to do is is have a ktor application that you know right now everything you know setting up cloud firestore and all that kind of stuff is is configurable you know via configuration but i want to actually make one binary that people can run and whether they're going to run on a on a sql database you know for storage or firestore or you know mongodb or anything like that they should have one binary that they can uh that they can deploy with a different configuration file and it'll connect to whatever they want. So I've, I've sort of been exploring how to, um, how to mix KTOR with, uh, with sort of dynamic initialization uh, to make that work, which is, which has really been a lot of fun. And what, what approach are you taking there? Is it basically, are you trying to kind of like create uh, configuration files in JSON or YAML or whatever, or are you? Uh, so largely, um, because because of the way that that server files are are packaged and stuff, you know, you you create a war and it's and it's you know just a single package, so um, it makes things hard to configure inside there. I've been my main approach has been um, using the environment to configure things. Um, so so if you're standing something up on Container Engine, you can pass in different environment variables to sort of adjust how it's going to run. Um, the same thing for Heroku or, or any other, any other platform that you want it to run on. Yeah. Back in the old yeah. days, like, I don't know how far back you go with web developments, but when, back when I had started this, it, we used to have this thing called ISAPI, uh, DLLs. It was around mm -hmm. the same time as, uh, kind of a little bit after CGI's and so we didn't have anything like sophisticated, like containers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so we used to do this same kind of concept of like, I would just create a single binary that I wouldn't ever have to modify. Mm -hmm. um, and then basically this massive kind of like the INI files. Do you remember the INI file yeah. from Windows, which was basically um, name equals value? Yeah. Uh, setting absolutely everything from database paths to the, to, the, to the customer's company name to everything you could think of. Mm -hmm. um, but it made it really cool, right? Because basically you would just dump that uh, DLL along with the INI file and you would hit run. And then that's when you would re realize that, oh, DLLs aren't allowed to read from the local file system. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, okay, let's back to the drawing board and try yeah. to figure this out. It was working on my machine in development. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And that's sort, of, that's sort of the similar sort of end result that I'm looking for. What I'm, you know, I've been... 
since before Kotlin Conf, I've been working on the subscription management system specifically for um, Android apps, but mobile apps in general that work with iOS and to verify purchases and then manage subscription lifecycle. If a user is subscribed to, you know, to your app, I make a coloring book app. Users subscribe, they get access to all the new content and features. Is that um, for kids? Nope, it's actually targeted for adults. Really? So it's a yep, it's an adult coloring book app, and it's um, it's uh, largely sort of a meditative experience for a lot of people. You know, stress relief type of thing. Oh shoot! Uh, um, you should you should send yeah. me a link. I should check that out. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, but um, but yeah, so this this service that I'm making is is um, what I'm hoping to do is actually release it. You know, open source. And what I'd love to get to is a point where there can be, you know, a one-click setup. So somebody else is making an app, you know, maybe an indie developer or something that has subscription services. And I want them to be able to go to, go to the README and, you know, with Heroku, you can, you know, click a button and it'll set things up for you um, so that you can deploy this and configure it however you need um, with very little changes and then just plug it into your app and go. So excuse my ignorance here, mm -hmm. but... Doesn't uh, the Google Play Store offer any kind of support for subscription model apps? It so the the Play Store in particular it um, it provides so they take care of like taking the money and and cancellation and that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that's not available in the app. For instance, uh, in in the Android app, I can't query the Play Store um, Google Play on the device and have it give me an expiration date to a subscription, which seems like the first thing you would want. Um, and so, so basically what, and what the, you know, what the higher ups at Google play say is, well, they, they have a plat a payment platform and it's your job to make the platform for actually like managing and uh, subscriptions and that sort of stuff on your, on top of it. Um, which I consider to be a, a big limitation of the platform, but, uh, but that you know leaves an opening for this project here, and so so the way that the way that it works is what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, when a user makes a purchase on the device, they get a token back, and you're supposed to send that token to your own server, which behind the scene reaches out to um, to the the Play Store APIs to verify the token and get all of this extra information about it, like an expiration date and, and uh, you know, how long the trial period lasts and all that kind of stuff that you can't get on device. And so, so what I'm building is basically that server component. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And it feels like a niche, as you say, well, not a niche, but a gap that needs filling, right? Yeah. Yeah. I you know, and it, it, there's, there have been a lot of sort of libraries that, that give you the tools to do that. Um, and the verification thing is is on all of the platforms, even on iOS, they, you know, ideally you would verify the tokens on your own server because, you know, the client, the device that the user's using could be compromised, it could be jailbroken or whatever. Um, and so that's a, an environment you control where you can take care of verification. So, so this system, it plugs into the Play Store and the Apple App Store and would also work with other stores like Unity or Amazon. And so your idea here is as opposed to you kind of like hosting this for every application developer out there and mm -hmm. uh, providing this as a service, what you want is basically to create these uh, self-contained applications that anybody could deploy on any container to serve their specific application with zero configuration, essentially, right? Yeah, that's the hope. Nice. Yep. 
and that that just plays into you know i'm an app developer i don't want to be a hosting provider yeah <laughs> cool well it was great chatting with you thanks for coming on and uh hope to meet or chat again at some point yeah thanks so much for having me i appreciate it